Amen. Well, let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 16. And as you're opening your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, you know, what we're doing is we're continuing here on this journey with Paul, Silas, and now Timothy. Remember, they're on the second missionary journey and their plans on this journey was to visit the churches that they planted. Their plans was to strengthen the brethren that, that came to the faith. But as we quickly will learn and we will see is that the Lord was directing their very steps. Yes, they may have been planning their ways, but it was the Lord that was directing their steps. As it states in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, it says there, A man, man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Let's go back to the times that we have made our plans. And you remember the mess that you made of things? And then you realize that, you know what, that God was never in our plans. And as we think about this, we know that we weren't sensitive enough or yielded to God's leading and direction. And I knew, do know one thing is that this can and become a real problem in our walk with the Lord. It has and it will. Why? Because there's so many voices attempting to lead us and to direct us. But can we tune out these voices and follow the Lord's direction only? See, the title of today's message is, Who Directs You? The, the title is, Who Directs You? I truly believe that the Lord wants to give us a deeper understanding on His direction versus the direction of our enemies. And the direction of our enemies, these are the world, this is the devil, and this is our flesh. Why does He want to give us this clarity? So that we can be fully directed by Him and not by anyone else. This is what He wants. He wants us to be fully directed by Him and no one else. And so let's go ahead and read the appropriate scriptures that we're going to be covering today. We're going to read beginning in verse 6 of Acts 16 and we're going to read all the way through verse 15. And so it says here in verse 6 of Acts 16, it says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood pleading with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothra. And the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day we went out to the city, out to the out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple for from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. And the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. You know, as we stop here, you know what, we're, we're just seeing the, the amazing fruit of being sensitive to the Lord's leading. Let me remind you, it was Paul and Silas. They were in Derby, and then they went to Lystra and Timothy joined them there, which is all in Galatia. Were you able to, you know, when it, uh, when it comes to, to their journeys, I mean, we, we see how, how they were just here directed by, by the Lord as they first went into Galatia to the churches and now they were, they were coming to, this, to these places here and, and they were as we read here, being directed by the Lord. Some places were being closed to them and, and other places were being open. You know, I'd like to show you a map so you can get a better understanding 
as to this missionary journey. And if you could pull up the map, so they can see the, the, the journey and we can see exactly where they were. Is it not able to open? Okay, perfect. You know, as we see here, right? You know what, this is the first journey. Did you not get this, the map for the second missionary journey? If not, it's okay. We'll just keep going on. Oh, you have it? But as he's going to be pulling it up, we're going to see... Okay, here we go. What we're going to see here is... We're going to see here how they were actually... No, this is the same one. You know, it's okay. We'll just, keep, we'll just keep going on. But I wanted to share with you how they were just in, you know, what they were here in, in, in Galatia. And, and the plan for them was to go to Asia, and, and which is really southwest of their current location. And Asia was really south of, of where they were, of of Galatia, and so if they were going to go southwest, this is where Ephesus was. This is where these cities were. And so as we see that, that they were forbidden to go into these territories, and we really don't know why. We don't know how, I should say. We don't know the, uh, the means as to how they were stopped from going there. As we know that Silas was a prophet, he was a prophet, and he exercised his prophecy according to Acts 15, verse 32. And so... Was it that Silas heard a word from the Lord? We don't know. Was it that the Holy Spirit spoke to Paul and Silas and all three of them? We don't know. Or maybe there was a sign or some sort of blockage through sickness. We don't know. But we do know one thing. Is that they were forbidding. And they were forbidding to go into Asia. We know that later on they would go into Asia. And, and we know that that was in the Lord's timing. But for now they were not to go there. As we see here in verse 6, it says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. As I was sharing with you. And then it says in verse 7, After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So now they go from, they're from Galatia, they go into this other region called Mysia. And when they go into the region of Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. And Bithynia, just so you know, was northeast of their current location. So they didn't go southwest, and then they were trying to go northeast. And as they were trying to go northeast, again, they were forbidden. They were not permitted to go there. And so, when it comes to these locations, we don't have a map for you there, but I want to share this with you, that this whole territory that we're talking about, Galatia, Phrygia, Mysia and Bithynia, this is all modern day Turkey. And I want you to know something about Turkey. Turkey is really the bridge between the Middle East and Europe. So you know that this is the bridge between the Middle East and Europe. So when we look at Turkey, Turkey is really a country that has a mesh between the Middle East and Europe. And so when, if you want to go into Europe, you would go through Turkey from the Middle East. And as we come back to the events here, we see here that for the second time, the Holy Spirit stopped the team from their plans. We weren't told why they weren't permitted to go, but they were forbidden and not given permission. But one thing that we love about Paul and the team is that if the Lord closes the door, they weren't trying to pry it open. How many of us have had doors that are closed and we're just trying to get in, right? We're just slamming that door trying to open it. But yet with Paul and Silas and Timothy, they didn't do that. And believe me, there's many of us that have a lot of plans that we want to do. And when the Lord closes the door, it can be very discouraging. Sometimes it can become very frustrating. And sometimes we have an enemy that tells us, you're nothing but a failure. And this is what you, you could imagine, two doors being shut. They wanted to go to Asia, they couldn't get in. They wanted to go to Bithynia, and they couldn't go there. So, to them, to, so you would think, Paul, Silas, and now Timothy, are they thinking to themselves, we failed. You know, we're trying to go these places, and yet we're not going there. You know, there's been, in my life, there's been plans where I've tried to do things, and, 
And you know what? And the doors have closed. The one that comes to mind was when, you know, I was, I was there at Calvary Chapel Asiana Heights and I wanted to begin some discipleship classes. I wanted actually to begin a, a Bible ministry school. And, you know, everyone thought it was great. They thought, you know what, this is a great idea. And then a week or two passed. And then I was told that someone else would be doing it and I would not be in the equation. And believe me, I was devastated because I had prayed and I had thought that this was what the Lord wanted me to do, that this is what He wanted to begin there. Again, I was planning my ways. And God had something else in store for me. See, I realized that God was directing my steps elsewhere. That He was closing that door to open another door. And you know what the other door that He opened? Was to La Puente. It was then that He opened the door for me to come over here and plant this church. See, this is why I know, and I, you know what, this is why when the Lord closes the door, let's just, don't try to pry them open. Don't try to, you know what, to squeeze in or to get through there. Because God has good plans for us. He has great plans for us. He wants to direct our steps so that we can be walking in His will. And we're going to talk about how we can do this when we conclude. As we keep reading on in verse 8, it goes on to say, So passing by Misha, they came down to Troas. So what we have here, all right, let's keep reading. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man from, of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Because the doors were closed to the northeast and southwest, the only other direction, because they came from, from down from south. From, uh, from, the, from the southeast. And so the only direction they could do was to go west. And they would hit the northern tip of Turkey. And this is where they went. They went to the city and port of Troas. And it was here in Troas where Paul had a vision in the night. And in this vision at night, he had a man of Macedonia pleading with him to come and help them. And remember, Macedonia is modern-day Greece. This is Europe. Now the gospel is going to go into Europe. And when we talk about this man that was pleading with them, Dr. Luke or Paul never revealed to us who this man was. Some actually say that it was Luke, that Luke was the one that was asking them for help to come. The others, some say that it was Europe. You know, the continent of Europe was asking them for help. But we never know who it is. Luke or Paul never reveals this to us, but there is something interesting that begins to happen. Look in verse 10, what, what happens? It says here that, Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. What's interesting about this is that there's pronouns that are changed here. See, prior to this, it was all about they. It was they, they, they. So who is the author of the book of Acts? Dr. Luke. And so now the pronouns change to we and us. So the clue that we have here now is that Luke has joined the team. So now there's four of them. It's Paul, it's Silas, it's Timothy, and it's Luke. And they all agree that the Lord was directing them to Macedonia, which is today modern-day Greece. I want to give you some, some bit of information here just so you know, so you have thoughts of what others have, have said when it comes to why the Holy Spirit didn't let them go into Asia or Bithynia. Some say that because Dr. Luke joined them, this would have meant that Paul got sick. And this is why, how they knew that they were prevented from going into these nations, to these other places, so that Dr. Luke would travel with them to attend to Paul's needs. But again, none of these things are substantiated. All we know is that the Lord directed their steps to Europe and the gospel would come to Europe for the very first time. In verse 11, it says, Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothra and the next day came to Neapolis. Based on the Lord's direction, they head off to Greece. From Troas, Troas is in Turkey, Troas is there in, in Turkey and so they sail from Troas to Greece and they arrive in the Greek island of Samothra. 
And this is a Greek island. It's not hitting the actual continent or, or, or I should say the country of Greece. But when they hit Neapolis, they actually set their feet now on European soil. And so from there they head off to Philippi, as it's told. And Luke describes it, he says there that it is the, far most, the foremost city of the part of Macedonia. Based on this, there are some that believe the way he talks about Philippi, the way he praises and describes Philippi, that Luke, this would have been Luke's hometown. We can't conclude again for a fact that this was, but this is what some people believe. Let's keep reading in verse 13, and it says, And on the Sabbath day, when we went out to the city, to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. So let's talk about this. Let's, let's see as, let's, let's examine what Luke has shared with us. He said that it's a Sabbath day. Remember, the Sabbath day was a day of worship, right? A day that they would go to a synagogue, a temple, and that they would, they would go, they would pray, they would hear the, the Old Testament scriptures, they would talk about these things. But here, we see that they go out by the riverside where there was prayer. Why didn't they go to a synagogue? Let me give you some details. They wouldn't have gone to synagogue because there wasn't enough of a Jewish population. See, in order to have a synagogue in a city, there had to be at least 10 Jewish men. But what we're told here is that there were only women that were praying. So there wasn't enough to have a Jewish synagogue. So you have the women that are praying there and that's the only place that they can go and pray. And, and so they heard about this place and so they go by the riverside to pray with these women. And then in verse 14 it says this. It says, Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. And the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. There's a woman that's there. A woman named Lydia. She hears them speaking. We're talking about Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. They're speaking to the other women, right? As, as they went to join them in prayer. And so this woman, Lydia, hears him. And so this woman, as Luke tells us, she was a businesswoman. She was a merchant or a seller of very expensive purple cloth. And it tells us, or Luke tells us, that she was from Thyatira. Where is Thyatira? Thyatira is actually also from Asia. This is a city in Asia. And now she moved from Asia into or. Turkey back to Greece, or into Greece, Macedonia. But he also tells us that she was a worshiper of God. We know that she wasn't, well, we assume that she wouldn't be a full proselyte, which would have been a full Jewish convert, but she was what? A worshiper of God, meaning that she feared the Lord. And then the fourth thing that Paul tells us is that she opened her heart to the things spoken by Paul. In other words, she opened her heart to hear the gospel. She received it. So you, you could imagine, we have the first, the first recorded convert in Europe. And guess who it is? It's a woman. Amazing. And as we look at this, right, we, we know that there was a vision, right? I don't want to get you confused about this because we know that Paul had the vision of a man asking for help. But as we see here, the first person that they helped to deliver from the chains of sin and the penalty of death was a woman named Lydia. And so what happens next is that her household hears the gospel. Whether how that happened, whether she brought them over there to talk to the four men or, or whether they walked to her house, we don't know, but we all know that they heard the gospel. We don't know if she was married. We don't believe she was married because it doesn't talk about her husband. She probably was a widow. She could have had kids. But we know that she was a woman of means. Why? Because she was inviting the, these four men to come to her household and stay. So we would assume that she had a very large home. Again, a businesswoman, a well-to-do woman. So if she's well-to-do, she would have had servants. That's why they said that her household was baptized. So it could have been her kids and her servants. They all got baptized proclaiming their newfound faith in Jesus Christ. What an amazing day. Imagine 
A household of people getting saved. How many of us get excited with when we bring when we are used to bring one person to the Lord, but when you have a whole household getting saved, how amazing is that? And as it says, she urged them and persuaded them to stay, and they agreed. I want you to know that this kicks off the amazing ministry, this amazing ministry into Europe. And next week we're going to see another family that gets saved. They're in Philippi. It's the jailer and his family and they hear the gospel and they themselves get saved. And we'll go into details of that next week. And then we see them going into all these other cities and you see hundreds and thousands of people getting saved. See, when the Lord directs us, I want you to know it's going to be fruitful and it's going to be successful. This is the fruit that's experienced by anyone that is directed by the Lord. Households are saved. People are saved. Things are happening for the glory of God. Again, just like the direction that I had to La Puente, you see the fruit of it all. This is the things that happen. But the question that I gave you earlier, the title of this message, who directs you? Who directs you? Do you find the Lord directing you or are there other forces and things directing your life? See, in order to determine who is directing us, we need to examine the others or these that are directing us. See, if we know our enemy, then we can identify him and his tactics and conquer him through the Lord. See, who are they? There's three enemies that we have, and I shared their, them earlier, and we're going to go into details with these enemies and how they direct us. And Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, reveal these enemies to us, and we're going to go into some detail regarding these, but let's read about these enemies. It says here in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 2, it says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to one the course of this world. So you have there your first enemy, the world. And then two, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That's the second enemy that's trying to direct you, right? It's saying you're walking according to them. They're directing you. And then the third, among whom also we, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Just as the others. So you have these three entities here that are directing your ways or are attempting to direct your ways. So let's talk about them. The first one that was mentioned here is the world. See, in order to identify the tactics of the world, we need to know what he does, what the world does to direct our steps. See, when we look at the world, the world will prioritize the things of the world above your relationship with God. Remember that. The world will prioritize the things of the world above your relationship with God. That's what the world will do. He will attack your very soul. Remember that. He will attack your very soul. He will attack your ego. He will push you to, think, to, go, to go after the things that the world promotes. And what does the world promote? Remember, we're talking about being directed by the world. The world promotes materialism. The world promotes possessions. The world promotes money. These things, they will motivate you. The world will use these things to motivate you. And you will find that they will be directing you away from the Lord to these things. And let's talk about some of these things. You will find yourself so consumed with your job. That's what it will do. The world will direct you to find yourself so consumed with your job, with your career, that it takes your priority away from the Lord. It pulls your relationship away from Him. Why? Because you need to work to make money. That becomes your priority. That's what the world does. It begins to now use your job to take you away from church attendance. That's what the world loves to do. Why? It begins to tell you, you need these things. 
These things are very important. You find yourselves also so consumed with your home. You know what? I can't go to church. I can't do these things. Why? Because I've got to clean the house. I've got to mow the lawn. I've got to take care of these things in the home. I've got to prepare for these things. I've got to prepare for Super Bowl. These are the things that the world is doing. You find yourself also consumed with the things of the world, like with cars. Right? I can't go to church. I got to do things. I got to read up on cars. You're no longer reading other things of God. You're no longer reading the Word. You're no longer praying, but you're spending your time reading up on these things. You're consumed with fashion. With clothes, the latest fashion trends, trying to buy all these things and you're so consumed with them that you have nothing left for the Lord. This is who directs you. See, the world uses these things and yet we, don't, we, we can't see ourselves falling into the trap of the world. See, when you find things taking away your time from church, from your personal relationship with the Lord, then these are directing your path. Think about that. They're directing your path. And we've got to be clear on this because this happens. This happens to so many people. It's happened to me. And yet we've got to redirect ourselves to be now directed by the Lord and not the things of the world. So what's the solution? The Word of God gives us a solution. The solution is 1 John chapter 2, verses 15-16. through 16. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. It's not of the Father, but it's of the world. See, the world will feed your soul. It will feed your pride. It will feed your ego. It will bring all these things to light and convince you that you need these things so that it takes away what the Lord wants to do through you. As we look at the next enemy, the next one is the devil. When he called him the prince of the power of the air, What does he direct you to do? I want you to know what the enemy directs you to do is to break your relationship with God. How does he direct you to break your relationship with God? He tempts you to sin. See, when you are directed to disobey the Word of God, you are no longer directed by the... and you do it, you're no longer directed by God, but you are now directed by the devil himself. See, when the devil directs you to deny the truth of God, you're no longer directed by the Lord, you're directed by the devil when you fall into his traps. See, the devil attacks your new spirit that came with your new birth. He wants to break that relationship with the Lord. And he causes you to sin. That's what he does. He directs you to sin. And when you fall into it, You're now directed by Him, right? See, one thing that we know is that the enemy will direct you not to forgive people. Why? Because he wants to break your relationship with God. See, when we think about this, right, it it really becomes now a matter of salvation. He's breaking that because he's telling you don't forgive. Where God's Word tells us that we must forgive. And if you don't forgive, God won't forgive you. He also tells you, or He also instructs you, not to be content. Don't be content. Why? Well, because if you're not content, then you're going to go after other things. Sin, whatever it is. He directs you to not walk in purity. He wants you to walk what? In sin. He also directs you not to come to church. Remember that. He directs you not to come to church. 
you're falling right into his trust. Whether the world directs you to do that because you're so consumed with the ways of the world or the enemy will also direct you because he doesn't want you to grow in faith. He doesn't want you to be stirred up by others to do good things by the word of God. The enemy also directs you not to pray. He doesn't want you reading the word of God. See, when you begin to to find or, or, or to have obstacles in your relationship with the Lord, it's the enemy that is breaking this relationship with God. He's, he's breaking that your spirit that has been knitted with His. And so what's the solution? What can we do? James 4, 7 tells us, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee to you. The solution is submitting to God. Don't submit to the devil, to his lies, and to his deceit. Let's not be like Eve or the countless others that came after him. But be like Jesus, fighting the devil with the truth and not submitting to him. See, when we don't submit, it tells us here, if we submit to God, when we resist the devil, he will flee. That's the simple answer. If you ever want the devil to stop harassing you or oppressing you or coming after you, you have the answer here. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. The third and the final enemy, as mentioned by Paul, is the flesh. What does the flesh direct us to do? The flesh wants to fulfill its desires. It directs you to fulfill its desires. Anything that satisfies its cravings, it will direct you to do. What are the cravings of our flesh? Sex, food, drugs, alcohol, and self-will. Remember that. Remember. See, you become directed by your flesh when you are moving and doing these things to satisfy. See, no matter how you want to justify your actions, because many of us will say, well, you know what? I do this or I do that and it's because of this and because of that. You know what? It's excuses. When it's contrary to God's word, it's sin. That's what it is. It's black and white. There's no gray area. There's no justification for it. And when we do these things, we are, again, directed by our flesh. So what's the solution? The Word of God gives it to us again. 2 Timothy 2, verse 22. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who Call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And so we see these, now that we see our enemies, right? How do we know or how can we be directed by the Lord? I'm going to give you these. And I'm going to give you these points. And the first one is this. Seek His will. Seek His will. If you have it in your heart to do the will of God, He will direct you. Stop seeking self-will. We talked about this. This is the flesh. Seek His will. This is why in Matthew 6.33 it says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's what we should do. Remember Jesus before He went to the cross. He was not seeking His own will. What did He say? He says, Not my will, but your Father's. It's so important. If we want to be directed by the Lord, seek His will. The next thing is to yield to His Spirit. Yield to His Spirit. As it says in Galatians 5.16, it says, Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. If you want to be directed by the Lord, we've got to be yielding to Him, not to us. Not to our flesh, not to the world. Not to the temptation of Satan. The other thing that we need to do, just like in all these things, Paul, Timothy, 
Silas and Luke were doing. I mean, the next thing that's so important when we're directed by the Lord is to seek intimacy. Seek intimacy. Intimacy with who? Intimacy with the Lord. And how do we gain this intimacy? By, having, by praying and having a devotional life. Reading the Word of God. And not only by this, but also attending church. See, church is so important. Prayer is so important. The Word of God is so important. Because if you're not hanging out with God, then you're hanging out with others. And these others are only there to destroy you. Your flesh. The world. And as we look at this, right? When we look at prayer, I mean, Jesus instructs us how to pray. He gave us instructions, an example of how to pray. Why? Because it's so important. He said to pray without ceasing. How important is that? 1 Thessalonians 5.17 If you want your relationship with the Lord to grow, it comes by reading the Word of God, as He tells us in Romans 10.17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. If you want to be stirred up to do good works, either the world's grabbed a hold of your heart and it's stirring you up, or the flesh. But if you want to be stirred up to do good works, you come to church. Hebrews 10.25 Don't forsake it. Did you know that it is a command to come to church? Don't forsake it. But many people, oh, you know what? I do church at home, right? You've heard that many times. I do church at home then why would the Word of God tell us do not forsake it? It's commanding us. Why? Because God knows it's good for you to be around the body of believers. If you're not around the body of believers, you're around the other body of other things. The fourth point I want to give you on being directed by the Lord is, is humility. Gotta walk with humility. When it came to Paul and, and Silas and, and Timothy and Luke, they weren't so proud into saying, you know what, we're going into Asia. We're going into Bithynia. Forget what the Lord has to say. I'm going to do what I want to do. Remember James chapter 4, verse 6, resist the proud, that God resists the proud, but He gives grace to who? To the humble. You know what? We've got to be teachable. We've got to be submissive. You know what, if, if you're not submissive, then you know what, you're not going to submit to anybody. You won't even submit to God. See, and this was my problem before too, right? Is that, you know what, I like to be, you know what, I, I chose who I wanted to submit to. And there were many people I said, I'm not going to submit to them. I know better than them. That was my mentality. I know better than them. See, if I didn't learn how to submit to others, I would never submit to an invisible God. And we've got to remember that. We've got to submit to one another. And that's what we have to do with humility, right? We've got to have that humble spirit. It's not us. And we're able to be flexible and pliable for the Lord to move us where He wants us to go. When you're directed by the Lord... I'm going to give you a fifth point. God will give you confirmation. God will give you confirmation. What did He do here with Paul and Silas? He gave Paul a vision. This is what I want you to do. Some people say, well, never throw out a fleece. That means you don't have faith. God knows that sometimes we need it. And it's okay to do it once in a while, but don't, make that a habit. But even before I came over here to La Puente, man, I needed confirmation from the Lord. I needed to hear from His Word. I needed to hear from Him, from my pastor, that this was God's will. Just remember, there's a fleece that we can throw out. And God will confirm that fleece. And then the sixth and final point before we have communion is this. When God is directing you, you will have peace. There will be peace. Okay? 
And one thing that we know is that there's always turmoil within us. See, if you're not right with God, and I remember before I was right with God, even as a believer, when you're not right with God, there's a war going on within you, isn't there? There's turmoil. You're never at peace. And this is why Christ is our peace, right? He came to make peace between us and God the Father. He was that mediator. And He did it by the cross. But He will also give you peace when He's directing you. You will have this overwhelming, unexplainable peace. As it says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6-7, through 7, where it says, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, it will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You have the peace of God guarding your heart and your mind. That's why you have a peace to do what He's called you to do as He directs you. See, as we look at these things, remember this. There are so many voices, these voices that are trying to misdirect you. God wants to direct you. God wants to be that direction in your life. And when He directs you, there's going to be an amazing, amazing fruit. There's going to be blessing. There's going to be joy. Even through the trials, you're still going to experience the peace of God and the joy of the Lord. But when you know that you're walking in Him, you're able to sleep at night because you know He's directing your path and you see all around you the peace. You know what? God desires to direct us. And He wanted to bring these enemies to our attention so that we can begin to examine in our daily walk, who's directing me now? Is it the world that's directing me? Am I so consumed with the world? Is the devil directing me because he wants me to sin and break my relationship with the Lord? Or are the cravings of my flesh directing me? Or is the Lord directing me? When the Lord directs you, man, we see. Look at what happened. All these churches that were planted. People's lives were being blessed all around you. Why? Because the Lord is in it. And the Lord wants to do a great work. And He's called every single one of us to yield to the place of allowing Him to direct our lives. He wants to direct your very life and experience the wonderful things of God in your personal life and the life all around you. And there's only one that can do that, and that is God. He knows what's best for you. And yet, we've been misdirected. And He wants to redirect us. Amen? That's close. Heavenly Father, we thank You. As we heard Your Word today, Lord, who's directing us? And maybe we find ourselves, as we heard today, the you speaking to us and revealing to us how we've been misdirected. And your word has revealed to us now your truth. And how you want to redirect us. We know one thing, Lord, that it takes a decision to say, I want you, Lord. I want you. I don't want to be directed by the world. I don't want to be directed by my flesh. I don't want to be directed by the devil anymore. I want to be directed by you, Lord. The Word of God also tells us that when we take communion, Don't take it in an unworthy manner. If you're in sin, let's confess and allow Jesus to rule and reign in our hearts, to direct us according to His will, not our will, but His.
if this has been you and your desire is to make things right with the Lord, I'm going to give you an opportunity to confess this and to place your faith in Jesus Christ. To ask Him to forgive you as you recommit your life or commit yourself to Him. It's so essential because change doesn't happen unless we acknowledge our mistakes and we surrender and turn from these to follow the Lord. If this is you, I'm going to have you repeat these words after me. Heavenly Father, I come to you. I come to you with my heart. Open to you. Inviting you in. Asking you to rule and reign. I want to be directed by you and only you. No one else but you. I've seen what my enemies have done to me. No more. Holy Spirit, lead me and empower me to live in obedience to Jesus. To allow you to direct me, to lead me, and to guide me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love and your mercy, your grace in sending your Son to pay my penalty. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and pass out communion. Oh 
Life is no longer the priority, but it's the life of others. And this is the Lord willing to come and to become sin and to give us life and abundant and eternal life. How great is that? You know, as we look at the bread and we're reminded of just what He endured for us. It wasn't an easy thing to go to the cross. He was scourged. He was nailed. He was beaten. Love for you, love for me, love for us all. Love for the world. Not just for a few, but He loved the world. That He gave His Son. Let's go ahead and take the bread. He also said that this cup, we were to take it also in remembrance of Him. Remembrance of the blood that He shed for us. And when you believe in Him, that that was a new covenant. That your sins would be forgiven. simplicity of it all, just placing your faith in the one that was sent to pay our penalty. Shedding his blood to pay our penalty. 
buying us with a price, the price of his blood. Let's go ahead and take the cup. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that we can always remember the cross until we see you face to face. You still have the scars on you, reminding us always of the price that you paid. Lord, help us not to forget the amazing work that you did for us. Help us to be a people, Lord, that understand the magnitude of your forgiveness. And because of this forgiveness, let us love you. Let us have a passion for you. Let us live for you. Let us walk in obedience to you. Lord, we love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we do have uh, counselors up here. If you need any prayer or you need to talk about this new decision that you've made in the Lord or this recommitment, they're here to pray for you, to encourage you, and to direct you according to the Word of God. And just, again, rejoice. Rejoice for the work of the Lord, and we pray this, and we thank you. God bless you. The ushers may go forward for the tithes and offering. Author of my life, friend of sinful men, holy mighty God, the ever great the law.